Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. Simplicity reveals the pure beauty of life. And that's a quote by Debashish Midra. And bonjour, hello, and welcome again to The Profitable Photographer. It honestly means so much that people are tuning in from now over 66 countries and over 30,000 downloads. Sharing is caring, so... I would also be really grateful if you could let your friends know about all the goodness and all the great guests that I have had on my show, including the person I'm going to introduce you to. So I want to invite you, if you haven't, to join my private group, which is called The Profitable Photographer, and to like my page, which is The Profitable Photographer page it might say with Lucy Dumas. I would love to have you in both. And I have an Instagram account also that's the profitable photographer underscore pod where you'll get notified of every single podcast. I want to introduce you to Pete Rezac. And if I were to list all of the accomplishments of Pete's, the podcast would be just about over. <laughs> um, he's a PPA master craftsman CPP. He's an educator, certified judge, jury, juror. <laughs> Affiliate juror, yes. He's on the PPA board of directors. He is the past president of the Professional Photographers of California. Are you still chairman of the board right now, Pete? For like two more weeks. <laughs> okay, short timer. But the core is his work. Oh my gosh. Pause this and go find Pete Rezac's website. Get gobsmacked, the beautiful simplicity of his work, and then you can come back. I'll wait. <laughs> it is hard to summarize all the things he's doing, all the great photography, all the awards, how much he's giving, giving, giving to this industry. And I feel so privileged to get to spend some time just me and you and Pete. So welcome, Pete. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me on your podcast, Lucy. I'm uh, really uh, honored and privileged to be a part of this today and been looking forward to this. Well, me too. So that makes two of us. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get started, I just want to say, Pete, that one of the things that makes me so happy about what you're doing, I'll go backwards a little bit. I do thoroughly love looking at the print competitions, both locally and on a national level. And at the same time, so many images that get really high awards and are amazing. A lot of the work is done in the computer. And when I look at your work, it's like, oh my gosh, somebody does hugely impactful photographs and pretty much done in the camera. So Pete, thank you for carrying on the tradition that I grew up with when we were film, we had to get it in the camera, right? Well, thank you for acknowledging that. I consider myself more of a camera artist and pre-production type person versus a post-production. Not that there's anything wrong with that. 
Well, I just, uh, I've found that it saved me a lot of time just to to spend a little time to, to get it up right. And the others you just alluded to is using a little bit of film. I mean, I still a practitioner of using silver and the analog type technologies for a lot of my work. So it's critical to do that up front as well. So for people who've never had a print made in the darkroom or loaded a roll of film, so the digital people, some of them may not know what you mean by silver and analog. Can you explain that? Well, way back uh, here, prior to about 20 years ago, we made photographs using uh, basically silver highlights or halides that were sensitive to light. And of course, uh, black and white, it's just silver and it would get uh, denser by the more light that you saw. So your highlights uh, on the negative would be really dark and your shadows would be really light. So hence the negative on that. And then of course, in color, they would tag along some dye that would go along and go to those areas where the silver was. And then of course, it's washed away. So yeah, that's how things used to be. And it's what's really exciting is there's now a generation of photographers that are coming along that are re-experiencing all of that. And I'm so thrilled to be able to see that. But I also love working that way because it's got some additional tangibility factors for me. I mean, it appeals to so many other senses than just our eyes. I mean, I love to be able to to uh, feel, F-E-E-L, right? Film, you know, when I shoot large format, I've got to load those holders in the dark. So I've had to learn to see with my hands and mm-hmm. find the notch and, and how that goes. And then, of course, you know, on the medium format cameras and even 35, they all have different sounds when you're winding the film. When the mirror releases, you know, they all have, so they appeal to that sound. And then, of course, then there's the processing aspect of it. And I know there's lots of seasoned photographers out there that don't miss the smell of chemistry. And I don't think the chemistry is probably nearly has the smells or toxicity that it used to. Thankfully, they've come up with some new type of chemistry on that. There is still an odor to it. And so it appeals to the, the sense of smell. So I really love the whole experience it provides me as a photographer from beginning to end, just because it appeals to so many other senses other than just sight. And so that's kind of the analog that you mentioned. Yes. Pete, do you still have a place to play old records? So interestingly enough, my son uh, has just got himself, he's going to be 16 here in a couple of days, but a turntable and is rediscovering vinyl records and all of that stuff. I had a lot of vinyl growing up, obviously, as a kid of the 70s and a teenager in the 80s. We made a trip back to South Dakota where I grew up and I thought my mom, who never gets rid of anything, but apparently got rid of all of my record collection. I don't buy that for a minute because this lady's uh-huh. this lady kept every report card everything that I've ever done. So (laughs) we'll have to just go on a deeper dive next time we have a visit. So she's keeping it for herself and listening to. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Not that I could just see my 89 year old mother listen to Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers damn torpedoes, right? (laughs) You never know. (laughs) It's interesting to see my son who's going to be 16, you know, how he's got an interest in, in, you know, vinyl. And so those old analog technologies, I mean, whether it's sound or film or any of that, I think there's a warmth and a, and a characteristic, an entire experience to consume, whether it's a visual art or sound or any of that. So I'm mm-hmm. thrilled to be somebody that's still a practitioner of that. Right. When I pull out 
my LPs, long playing records or albums, I'm always surprised at how much more it sounds live. Right. I remember the day of just getting a new album, playing it all the way through a couple of times, just laying on the floor, just listening to music. I love that you have that same photography that whether you're actually going in the dark room. So there's something just so similar about the experience of photography and film that you've already shared. Are you printing your own work? Yeah. You would consider me basically a hybrid photographer. So I do my exposures and processing through the film cameras and then through a Jobo processor and basically my fancy darkroom, otherwise known as our spare bathroom. I'm working. And then what I do is then I'll do a scan and dust spot on the computer and then do a print through a, um, is it okay to say a printer or should I just say a printer? But I print it on some really fine German paper to get that tangibility factor. Now, mm. I have acquired here a couple of years ago some enlarging equipment. So I have an Omega D2 enlarger and print easels and negative carriers and everything that goes with that. And it's one of my projects here to do coming into our traditional slow season, not COVID slow season, but is to get that put back into operation and actually doing some optical printing. And I'm going to add a, one more complex component to that is I'm also going to try to do some color RA4 printing too. So we're going to see where, where it goes because I absolutely love having myself interjected into this whole process. Mm. What I foresee is to tell them like, these are truly one of a kind prints. As much as you'd like to duplicate a, a darkroom print, there's still fractions a second different between each print. So they're all truly unique. Since this is a show called The Profitable Photographer, how does all of this extra time and care and tangibility and little X factor in the warmth and beauty of your photographs, how does that equate to mow money in your pocket? Mow money? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, one of the things as we talk about providing a client an experience, not only I told you the experience it provides me as a photographer working this way, but we're running into now getting into a generation of clients that have never been photographed this way. And so they see, and I'm constantly kind of soft selling the, you know, the whole experience about, Hey, I don't know if I got it right. I don't know, but I'm handcrafting all of this. My hands are all over this. I could have screwed up loading the film holders. I can't this, that, or whatever it could be. Now I'll also tell you that my clients, a lot of times, this isn't like a one of a kind, like we're never going to get this opportunity again. So, I mean, if I were to screw something up, I would just rebook them in. Mm -hmm. Now, knock on wood, I've not had that experience yet because I trust in the training that I've had on all of this other stuff you alluded to here at the beginning of the show. They're seeing this and they understand, hey, I can't see the image right away. You can't show me the back of the camera. I mean, I could show them, but all they're going to see is a back of a camera. Uh -huh. When we go through with the Sandlot series, what I do is I'll proof and I will make digital prints on some paper that comes with ink whenever you buy it from and in this case, and we'll put the print gloves on and we'll go. So we're building value for that whole experience. So that translates into profitability. 
that, wow, there's value in this. I am touching this. I am feeling it. I'm constantly telling them about the value of a print and how there's a good chance that teenage kids nowadays, like son, for example, here at 16, that he stands a high percentage of not having any visual history by the time they're in their 50s, like where I'm at. So that's why there's value in having a print, you know, so that you can maintain that. Or I'll tell stories about my grandparents. I never knew my grandparents. I came along so late in the game. And my dad's parents immigrated from Europe. My grandfather immigrated uh, from the Czech Republic in 1912. They landed in South Dakota. They were homesteaders and depressionary times farmers, right? So they didn't have a lot of money, but they did still choose to invest even in the depression to have some pictures made. And I'm so grateful for that because at least I have some sort of visual reference of who these people, I mean, I never got to meet them, but obviously they're very important to Mm -hmm. me because without them, I wouldn't have my dad. Without my dad, I wouldn't be here. Yes. So yeah, I just to kind of tie this up, always soft selling to my clients about the value of a print and You don't need electricity to see it. I know, I love that. You don't have to worry about if you've upgraded phone and forgot to do it. Um, Lucy, you've been doing this for a long time. I mean, once something's in print, it's really hard to throw Mm -hmm. away. Even reject prints, right? It's really, man, it's hard to throw those away. (laughs) Absolutely. I found, I've mentioned this on my show before, but Pete, I found a tintype in the bottom of a box of things that my mom had when I packed up her house and moved her to a boarding care. And this woman in the tintype looks like my sister. And my sister does not look like the rest of the family. And would it be like 1880s? Mm-hmm. Tintype exists. So yeah, it's just amazing. My mother and aunt and uncle all drowned at the same time when she was an infant. Oh, wow. And we have photographs of them. So I feel like I still have had them in my life. She's had them in my life. I recently found a locket from her aunt with her name on it. And I've been wearing that and that, you know, now some people don't care, right? Right. Family history, the past, but sounds like you and I are cut from the same cloth where we treasure our history. Well, exactly. And that's the thing, you know, maybe somebody today may not treasure it. But that's not to say that somebody coming down the road in the future is going to be highly interested in this. Right. Also interesting, you mentioned a tintype. It's really crazy. Uh, My father-in-law passed away here five years ago. And when we were moving my mother-in-law from the the home they had, she lives now just down the street, which is really great to have her close. But we're cleaning it out and she found an envelope and in it, it was actually her father's some stuff that she had, his handwriting said dad and his brothers. This would have been her father, you know, basically her grandfather and his brothers. And that's what it was, was a little tintype and it had survived. I mean, it's only like three and a half by two and a half, you know, just really small. But what's really amazing, I don't know if you've ever thought about this with the tintype that you had, but you know what, that was what was in in the camera. And so those people that were in there, right, were human beings. We want to see how we look in our pictures so you can go, hey, wow, we look fat or all of this kind of stuff. But they actually held that that photograph that you have, that tintype. 
So you actually have a physical connection, right? They actually physically held on to that. That's really amazing and to me. And like, wow, I am connected to something that the people in here actually physically touched. Just kind of blows my mind on that kind of stuff too. And I'm guessing that they didn't say back then, hey, I don't like how I look or I'm fat or right? That's something that's that's come along the lines of like where we've gotten so caught up in vanity. Right. Well, I don't know. I guess they did have mirrors, <laughs> big mirrors, but probably not as many. <laughs> what is a typical investment and what do people take home in general, like your happy place where you feel like they purchased? Well, I'm a wall portrait guy, right? So I mm-hmm. always go for something on the wall and typically we're anywhere from 24 to a 36 inch portrait. but. I am here now exploring some of these folio boxes and there's an outfit out of Ireland that I'm, uh, in fact, I have a sample coming. Uh, My studio sample should be here early next week. And I had Bay Photo do the prints for me that I'm going to put into it. And what's interesting is I've already pre-sold this to one of my high school senior clients this year. So Mm. it's, but I'm like, wow, this is probably a great product for me, I'm always looking for something on the wall. And I don't get into these ginormous, huge prints, but I always want to have something. And then of course, you know, smaller, but this new folio box is a, they're, they're matted eight by 10. So they're 11 by 14 with eight by 10 size prints in there. And it's in a handcrafted box and it's got a window lid. So you can flip, you can actually change the photograph out with it, the matted photograph out. And I'm really excited about that because as I move into the dark room to do these, uh, especially if the color techniques and that, uh, probably eight by 10 is what the space is I'm going to have because I don't have space to put big 16 by 20 trays and that kind of stuff right now. That's a great way to sell a collection of hand printed work, whether it comes out of a printer or optical enlargement out of the dark room, but they're, you know, they're still printed to do that. I am going to position it right there where I'm at basically for mid-size wall portrait. And so I'm, I'm excited to see what comes from that. Pete, you said these were from Ireland. Is it the 3M? 3XM. Yep. So I asked him if he could at a trade show, if he could make a little recording of his Irish accent so that whenever you lift the lid, <laughs> you can hear. And welcome to your oh, photographs. Charms. <laughs> These beautiful photographs. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. Yes. They're well-crafted and all of that. And I mean, they're positioned well with what you do for an album. Mm-hmm. And again, I, it goes back to that I'm not really, you know, I don't want to say I'm unskilled on the computer. I just prefer not to work on it. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you got to go design an album, you're like, oh God, how do I put that I together? Whereas if you put, you put together 15 to 20 matted photographs, I'm like, that's in my wheelhouse. It's part of my brand. It just looks great. There's a flow that goes with it. And you know what? It eliminates this. Well, I don't really have wall space. I'm like, well, you got a coffee table or you got a shelf somewhere you can put it on there. So. Right. I would not want to offer it in lieu of a wall portrait, I personally would have either a higher price, but when they purchase a wall portrait, then it becomes available at a special price. That's exactly what it's going to be is it's going to be an add-on to a wall portrait. 
where did your photographic style come from? And like, are there favorite photographers that inspired you? Or can you kind of share, just to describe his work, the ones that stay in my mind are beautifully crafted black and whites in the studio with yummy lighting, lots of kind of moody, not really moody like the contemporary dark and moody, but the contrasty where you, it feels to me like you catch an emotion or a personality or something so strongly that even in the simplicity of a background and a subject and good lighting and a camera, you catch something else. What are the roots of that for you? Why do you love that so much? Lucy, thank you for asking me that question, because when I started my career here in 2003, and I've been full-time since 2010, people would ask what your style is, and I would never be able to, I didn't know, right? I'd be like, well, did my style find me today? And I'd wake up, and no, it didn't. I got into print competition, and I've tried all kinds of different things the the first year so, you know, I put landscapes and this and that, but I'm like, you know, I'm not really a landscape photographer. I don't like to get up early and all the things that I appreciate in landscape that the people that go and do that. And then I thought, well, you know, maybe it's, I used to do some babies when I started and, and that wasn't quite it. And I learned I wasn't proppy and all that. So then I started to compete with just simplistic black and white photography, because when I learned photography, that's what I learned was black and white photography. And I've always, I just have always loved that. And I also am a firm believer that if you produce what you enjoy looking at, you'll do so much better. Some people love color. Some people love color abstract. Some people like high contrast black and white. And I just always loved really kind of darker black and white portraiture. And so I started to compete with it and I started to do better and started to just start to kind of go down a road. And it was with my sports kids or my baseball kids is where it kind of started with. I was a kid of the 70s and a teenager in the 80s. And we didn't have all these fancy baseball uniforms that kids wear today. I mean, if you look at these kids that play youth sports now, I mean, they basically look like little major leaguers. You know, there's really... The only thing that distinguishes them between the big leagues is the size of them and the stadiums they play in. I'm like, oh, you know, we wore screen printed T-shirts with trucker hats before trucker hats were cool. We wore jeans and all of that. And so then I started to kind of go, I want to go back to kind of that period in time what I grew up with and started doing that. And then there was got some critiques about authenticity and this and that. And I'm like, oh, you know, dirt and not having smiles. And so we get this expression. I think it's an expression that I, that I get. And I don't know how I get it to be Mm -hmm. honest with you, Lucy, but I get it time and time and time again. So I don't know if it's just a gift that I have in the interaction in the, the time of tripping it, but I get it time and time and time again. And I'm so grateful I'm able to get it because I'm actually a pretty fun guy and my sessions are pretty fun, but my photography tells a whole different story. So I'm not sure where that comes from, but I do absolutely love the darker, simplistic type work. It's just something that has always spoken to me. And then of course, I love light that's got personality and character Mm -hmm. to it. Now I've studied with the likes of Tim Meyer, 
and, uh, you know, studied Tim Kelly's works, Tim Walden. Like I call it the photography Tims. All the Tims. Yeah, the photography Tims. You got Tim Kelly, Tim Walden, Tim Meyer. And then the other guy I really appreciates work, but his is more color, though, is Timothy Greenfield Sanders. Mm. And he works with the big 8x10 and 11x14 view cameras. And so I was like, yeah, that, I love the quality that that big negative brings. I like the simplicity of the posing and, and some of the other lighting aspects that Tim Kelly brings to it. I love the character and personality to light that I've learned from Tim Meyer and then the relationship between subjects that, you know, that Tim Walden brought to it. So I've kind of put all of those aspects together and kind of churned it out in something that meets my vision. So, you know, those are the guys that I've taken inspiration from. Two things. First of all, who was the Tim number four? Timothy Greenfield Sanders. Okay. Because I've had two of the Tims on my show and I've been friends with Tim Meyer for so long. I can't believe I haven't asked him to be on the show yet, or maybe I have and and we didn't, but there's somebody that I think you've been influenced by that you may not even know. And that's Victor Avila. Did you know Victor? No, I do not. I'll have to look at his work. So all of those Tims knew Victor and your work has, and he's, he's been gone now, maybe 10, 15 years. He was a San Diego photographer, and with just the simple lighting, there he could get personality from the subjects in a way that I haven't seen so clearly until you. Oh, wow. Well, thank you for that. There's just a certain something, and sadly, it was pre-digital world, so we can't just type in Victor Avila, but the people that you mentioned learned from him. The people, I don't know Timothy Greenfield, but the other three have been friends of mine, and we kind of came up over the last four decades together. Well, make sure you check Timothy Greenfield Sanders. There's some short video clips about him. He refers into to some of his videos or, or interviews that you'll read about him as that Betty Davis taught him lighting or how to photograph. He went to one of the schools in the Los Angeles area and then was photographer and he was down low and she's like why are you photographing me from down low and he's like uh i don't know and she's like do you have a car and he's like yeah and he goes well if you drive me around for a week i can teach you photography it's really a great story right that you know you have betty davis uh basically teaching you how to light and camera angles but and i would encourage you to to take a look i've never met him i am a fan of his work and what i've what i've seen because it's very simplistic Single subject subjects usually, and he creates on a large format camera, but he shoots in color. All of this is like great, producing wonderful work. You love clients' work. The biggest question I get asked all the time is, how do you get clients? How do you find your ideal clients? So care to share? Okay. So it's been a long journey and a lot of hard work. To find people, uh, you know, when I when I first started, you know, it was a lot of word of mouth type marketing, and hopefully that they would tell a couple of friends and so on and so on and so on, and that worked. And I still do a lot of word of mouth marketing. And then here, about ten years ago, they had it wasn't Groupon; it was Living Social, 
So I did some of this living social type stuff and some people probably consider it dirty. I never did had any success with that because of, they wanted something for so cheap and, and all of that. But it's a concept of lost leaders, right? You would do a discounted session and give something away. Well, where a lot of people had problems with it is they give too much away. What I would do is I did a, I don't know, $100 session and I would give away an 8 by 10 I'd always establish what the value of that 8 by 10 was, right? And saying, hey, when they come in for a consultation and we would do all of that, saying, hey, that's valued at $200. So you can either do that or you have a $200 print credit and I would just go off to my normal selling. So how that ties into how did I find people is I had quite a few people that came into exposing a lot of different people to come in. Some were great clients, some are not so good. You know, it's the old 80-20 rule, but I mean, 80% of the people were really fantastic. Then that also led me into, hey, maybe there's some commercial work that some of these people do or whatever. So then I started to get a channel of people coming from that. I also do a lot of charity, charitable type stuff. I have been involved, uh, well, up until this year with COVID, but working with a local orthodontic practice in that we used to support it was for PPA charities, but Operation Smile. It's a, the world's largest volunteer medical effort that goes out and does the cleft palate repair surgeries. And so for that one day, we would sit there and $25 per smile that was in a picture. So if there's four people in there, it's a hundred bucks and we donate all of that. But what happened with that is you get the media that would pick up on it. I've appeared on all four of the TV stations here in Reno. I can't go call a TV station and go, hey, by the way, I'm great. You should <laughs> worry on me. And here's why. But they do that. And so that was invaluable. So that reached out. Well, the other is, is the patient base to these doctors. And then the other is, is they'd introduce me to dental practices. And so I started to do stuff with that. And then pretty soon, you know, you've got another rolling of things. And then I got involved with some other nonprofits. One is a substance abuse nonprofit here in Reno that helps ladies. And, and they always want to have something that's donated. But, you know, those people that support that, that's all my client base. These are people that want to support that charity, but they're also got money. And so that's client base. We can't go out and do the same amount of those kinds of things, or maybe you can. Like what has changed? What are you doing differently in these days? Basically, I tell that story because it get all that stuff still funneling in, right? It's been, like I said, it's been a lot of hard work over a lot of years to do it. I have a constant influence on social media and Instagram showing work. I just have all these people. It's, it's interesting. So the word of mouth is still doing it. I went through a whole website refresh. I know it's working for me this year because I've had people like, hey, I found you. I, I did a search. I love your work that I saw and this or got referred to you by these people. Now, the other is, is now I'm getting into a time with all these babies and all the stuff that I did to 18 years ago, 17 years ago. Now they're high school seniors. So all those seeds I planted way long time ago, now they're starting to come to fruition. What's going on in my mind that I'm hearing is... Two things, because you've developed a style that's so personal and so strong that you stand out 
from other people. So you're memorable. So number one tip I'm taking from this is when you really develop your style, what is a preset or an action that you put on your photographs? Really finding that inner voice that is going to separate you from the pack. Would you agree to that with that? Absolutely. And specialization, you become easier to find. You know, I've really worked hard on this black and white brand. Number two is I have a feeling you stay in touch with your clients. You don't just do a one and done. Is that right? And how do you stay top of mind with clients? Exactly. Well, this is a relationship business, right? Yeah. First of all, when we do a session, we're going to talk to a client at least a minimum of five times. I mean, there's the initial, there's the consultation, there's the session that we do, then there's the proofing when we do, and then the delivery. So on that, but we're constantly checking in saying, hey, you know, how's everything going? I hope, by the way, so-and-so is going to be a senior, you know, let's start to think about that. Or I see that you're doing this now, maybe we should do some personal branding and portraits on to show what you're doing, right? Oh, you're selling makeup. Let's put you, you know, in a salon type environment or something like that. Do you do newsletters? Do you mail anything? So I've started to this year. I've been a little bit terrible about it here the last few months. With redoing my website this year, I was trying to make a conscious effort to continue to do a newsletter and just to say, here's what's going on, you know, what we've kind of been doing to try to have something just kind of personal base or some sort of tip in there for clients and then having some sort of monthly promotion. Now, I got really busy this fall. I'm really grateful for all of that. So I got, a, and I'm just a one man band here. I don't have, have a team of 25 people doing all these different things. And so I got so busy. So I've been a little bit del- or delinquent. I think that's the word I want to use. Over the years you have, just to clarify, you have done things consistently like newsletters or other things to stay in touch with them? No, no. I just started to do this this year with COVID. I was always trying to be visible in years prior to this. Being involved with the charities, right? Because that gives visibility. That gives these types of things. And then those people like to support people that support their cause. Right. And your Reno is, what's the population in Reno? Uh, the Reno, Spark, Carson City area is probably close to 400,000. Yeah. So that's a nice size where you can be visible. Right. Somewhere like San Diego, forget about it. Unless you live in the community, which I don't, where your ideal clients live, just for my listener to know about this. It's more important in my, like a love, all of those things that you do. And I can see how people know who you are, what you do in a bigger community It takes to me that kind of effort of staying in touch, sending holiday cards, newsletters. Handwriting thank yous to orders, you know, handwriting stuff. Those little personal touches, I can't tell you how far those will go. Ten years ago or so, you know, I I tried direct mail type things. And I don't want to speak bad of it, but it was an expensive venture, but it really did not pay off. And it caused me more problems than anything. So. It works for some, but it didn't work for me. And it just uh, you alluded to, you know, where I live. And so you have to look probably about the area that you're looking in and going, hey, would direct mail, would a bunch of postcards, 
you have to, I guess, look at where your audience is and how you want to reach them. Right. So when I talk about mailing, I'm not talking about mailing to strangers, although that is still viable when you get the right strangers. I'm saying mailing, let's say, a seasonal postcard with an image on it that is so compelling that people will put it on their fridge. So you'll stay top of mind because they got one of your limited edition photographs. Absolutely. Holiday cards I've sent every year, except the last two years. I just, the stress of it sometimes has created an anxiety. I let myself just not do it. And it just felt sad. (laughs) So I'm excited to send out holiday cards again. No, absolutely. And when, when I was saying on my mailing side, it wasn't about like what you're just describing. I'm talking about a mailing list where you'd send things out to blindly. They were the lead base wasn't good and, and all of that. So yeah. So let's to be clear on that. Yeah. Cause you definitely want to still send some things out to clients to let them know, Hey, you know, this is what's going on. And, and there's so many tools now available to be able to keep track of everything. I also realize that a lot of my client base, I'm only going to see them maybe every five years or thereabouts. You know, I'm not doing a product that they're going to come back every single year and spend five or $7,000 every single year. I mean, I wish they would, but the reality is that's not what they are, but they might do that every five years. They'll come see me and do something. Right. One of my friends, um, she's about episode number 11 or so on the podcast. She was so active at staying in touch and taking people to lunch that she hardly had to market and they would come back every two or three years for family portraits or a different iteration. But what I also hear from you, Pete, you're actively marketing that you can't just sit there. (laughs) No, you can't. You can't just sit on your butt in front of a computer and do whatever. You've got this from different approaches. and. That's the other thing. I'm really grateful that, uh, you know, my dad sold it life insurance for 50 some odd years. And again, in South Dakota and was very, very successful. But when there was newspapers, right? I don't even know. Do they print newspapers anymore? <laughs> I read them every morning. You know, we got a daily paper. And if there was a client of his, he cut it out and he had a little, he had these little cards that were made up that you're in the public eye and he cut it out, put it in the thing and he'd send it to him just to say, hey, I saw this. And so what a great idea, right? But he also had that personality that he always stayed in contact. And I love the tip that you just mentioned that that your guest would take some people out to lunch or whatever. I mean, yeah, we all have to eat when COVID's over, you know, that's a great thing to do is to just like, hey, you know, I'm still interested. Let's just do this. Because yeah, a lot of clients become friends. There's some you don't ever want to see again, but that's okay. But there are a lot that you build these relationships with. And that's how, that's a great way to foster it. Right. Bruce Hudson is the king of that. And he just re-edited his book called Relationographer. Mm-hmm. He, he, like, he's always just astounded me at how much he and when Sue was still with us, his wife, the two of them, it just was fantastic how many things he did with his clients for social time and VIP or just get togethers with favorite clients or open houses. And yeah, clock on the wall says it's almost that's all. (laughs) Wow. That went fast. 
Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad. I have a question and then another question. Okay. So the first one is, how do people get to your website? And if they have questions for you, how would they get in touch with you? So my website is the highly imaginative name, Pete Rezac, R-E, Z as in zebra, A, C as in cat, photography.com. I just want to make sure that people can use as many of those keystrokes as they can on their keyboard to get to my website. And uh, if they want to email me, PeteRezacPhotography.com. I probably should tighten that up down the road. We, when we first got into websites, you needed to use your whole name and all that kind of stuff. And it's just been one of those things. It's just lived with me, but, but you can find me on Instagram as well at P Rezac, R-E-Z-A-C. And you can see my work there. Great. He's judging everywhere. He's speaking everywhere. He's serving everywhere. So he's easy to find. (laughs) Yeah. I love this industry so much. It's been so good to me. There's been so many wonderful people that it's my honor to be able to to give back. And it's it's my honor to be able to, for those that are PPA members out there, to be able to represent you on on the board of directors. And for the California audience, if you're not a member of PPC, you should be. And I'm just coming off that board, but there's some really wonderful people that are on there trying to do some wonderful things. So the point of that is, is get involved with your local association. So I know, Lucy, you're down there in the San Diego area to get into the San Diego County Association if they're, you're there. So Yeah, we have the best group ever. <laughs> you have just a good kidding. group down there. We do have a good group. Before I ask you that last question... Let's give a really big plug for the virtual imaging people all over the world. You can sign up for it so you don't have to fly anywhere. It's so amazing. The the PPA staff, I tell you, they've always been awesome, but boy, they've really, they have just really outdone themselves. So in January, the main part starts the 17th to the 19th of January, but there are pre-classes that mm-hmm. start maybe the 14th. Their Imaging Expo, I'll say our Imaging Expo, because I'm a proud lifetime member, is having a virtual expo instead of what usually happens where we fly somewhere and get to hug each other and hang out and all that good stuff. But they're doing it virtually and the lineup is fantastic. And it's only $59. It's $59, but it's going to have, it's the look and feel of it's going to be like you're really there. Here's the other thing that's really amazing is it's going to be on demand. So you can obviously, you can watch it live, right? When they're having the speakers. And I think each of the speakers are going to be available at the end of their programs for 15 or 20 minutes to take live questioning and answers to do that. But if for some reason you can't make it, it's all going to be recorded, but it's on demand. You can go back and watch this as much as you want, I think, through the end of January. And Lucy, you know, whenever we go to these in person, there's always the, oh, there's two of these speakers I really want to see, but they're speaking at the same time. And you're like, man, I wish I could split myself in half, but we can't do that. Well, what's great about this is at least you can go back and watch all the programming. Now, right. everyone wants to get back doing this live and in person. This isn't going to be something that that is the new normal on this by any means, but they have worked really hard to provide an experience it's not going to be like sitting in front of a Zoom screen. It's just, it, they've done a really, really amazing job of really giving you an interactive experience. 
if you join PPA, which there's many reasons to do that, but not least of which is the equipment insurance pretty much makes it pay for itself. But then is it just the first year that join that get to do that free? Yeah. As a new member, um, when you join, you get to go to the next Imaging USA on PPA. Yeah. Pete, our San Diego group is going to scholarship our members. And we got that idea from someone else, some other California organization. And so we're really excited to cool. create that win-win. All right. So my last question is, okay. either is there something that you wanted to share that when we hang up, you'd be like, oh man, I wish I'd have mentioned that. Or just the last word that you want people to carry with them after listening whether wherever you're at, right? Listen, there's an inner voice in all of us that tells us what we should be doing and make sure you listen to that. In my case, my inner voice has always told me, hey, stick with film, stick with black and white, stick with what you love. It will serve you well. And it always has. So listen to that. Be you. Don't try to be who you might perceive is, is all of that in a bucket of chicken right now, because when you're in this for a long time, you see people come and go. But if you continue to be who you are, it will serve you well and you'll be amazed at the success that it brings you. So that's the tip that I would leave. And then also get involved with local associations. Those people in the, that you meet and the relationships you form within those groups, will they'll help you out in ways you could never imagine. Like... Decades later, you might decide to have a podcast. Exactly. And you realize that you've made friends with people that are the who's who in the world, even if like for me, I haven't done a lot of national speaking and such, but so many of my photography friends have. So I just have this treasure chest of amazing people that I know some like you, Pete, I'm really excited that we got this opportunity to have some one-on-one time. So yeah, me too. Yeah. You know, I've admired you not really from afar, but I've admired you within our world. We just haven't ever just you and me had time to chat. So this is just such a treat. Thank you so much for inviting me. You're welcome. Be a part of this. Stay tuned for my wrap up everyone. And Pete, I just want to thank you so much for everything you do for this industry for your inspiration and for being on my show. All right. Well, thank you and happy holidays to you. And we'll see you in, uh, let's hope that 2021 is the best year yet. It's got to be way better than this year, right? <laughs> <laughs> Okie doke. All right. Bye for now. All right. Thank you. Hello. I'm back from telling Pete goodbye personally. <laughs> so just a reminder that I absolutely love to have you ask me anything. If you want to jump in on the Profitable Photographer private group, if you're a photographer, I would happily let you join. And if you like my page, the Profitable Photographer page with Lucy Dumas or something like that, you can also ask me questions there or you can just email me lucy at lucydumas.com, Lucy with an I or Lucy Dumas Coaching and get to the contact. And thanks again for sharing this episode and others with your photography pals, because 
Sharing is caring. So a little quick wrap up. Pete is old school in such a wonderful way. He still photographs film, you know, processes the negatives and everything has a handcrafted quality to it. He's creating fine art portraits and it separates him from everybody else because what people who are doing the shoot and share model are using film. I doubt there's anybody. (laughs) And his work came from who he is and what he loves. He had mentors and people that he studied their work. I imagine it's so much fun for him to do what he does because it's what he loves to do anyway. And I've always done that. Children are my specialty. And when I have children or families with children, I'm photographing my style. It's like play that people pay us for. He talked about creating the deep client experience, and there's always more money potentially when you're doing that. He shares a lot about the value to his clients of having things in print. And one thing I thought was fun he didn't dig too much into was he did a series of what he calls the Sandlot series, where that's kind of gritty and it's sports, but kids sports. So I think sometimes creating some imagery, I'm not sure if that was his personal work or all professional work, but getting an idea like that and then exploring it is a way to grow and also to have great samples and have people want to hire you to do that. Then we talked about marketing and he's really good at people thinking of him being top of mind. He's active in his community with charities with word of mouth because he's prominent and people hear about him and they share about him. For example, he worked on Operation Smile and he photographed for charity and then he got media support. And he is continuing to grow with the social media and Instagram. He has revamped his website so it shows his special niche even stronger. I hope you got some inspiration from Pete. He's the nicest guy. If you look at a photograph of him, he's just got the best smile. I always think of him as smiling. And then his last takeaway that he wanted you to to, um, mull over is to always listen to your inner voice, to stick with what you love and to be yourself. And to get involved locally with the community that would be where your clients were. So thanks again for tuning in and for tuning in next week and going back and listening to some other episodes. I always have a hard time with saying goodbye. I'm always the last one at any event (laughs) where there's hugs involved, giving the last hug. So here's my last hug to you for today. And we'll see you next time. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.